today on Ag News Daily. There are bison producers all over the country. There are two bison herds on the islands of Hawaii and one on Long Island in New York and every place in between. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy day before Thanksgiving. I am Mike Pearson, co-host of the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined by Delaney Howland. Delaney, I don't know if you can tell, but I am standing on the street in downtown Chicago. There's a lot of hustle and bustle going on here for the holidays. Are you all geared up for Thanksgiving? I think I am. I've got some fun Thanksgiving facts for our listeners today. Drop them on us. What do you got? Okay, so the first one is, and this is funny because... President Trump or whoever the current president is always pardons two turkeys and this year's turkeys were bread and butter but it's because Benjamin Franklin proposed the turkey as the official United States bird he was dismayed by the news of the selection of the bald eagle and he replied to that saying quote the turkey is a much more respectable bird and withal a true original of America so that's why we see those turkeys pardoned every year at Thanksgiving time that is very cool. Yeah, Ben Franklin didn't like bald eagles because they eat carrion. You know, they're, uh, oh, they eat dead things. Yes. And that just always disgusted him. So he thought the turkey should have been uh, what we went with. And another fun fact. Do you know how much, how many pounds of turkey the average American eats each year? I have no idea. The average American consumes about 16 pounds of turkey per year. And about 46 million turkeys are eaten each Thanksgiving. Wow. Yeah, I think I read... million turkeys? Yep. About 88% of American households consume turkey at their Thanksgiving Day celebrations. Holy cow. It's a lot of turkeys. That is a lot of birds. A lot of birds. Any other fun facts for us, Delaney? The other one I had was cranberry related so cranberries are native to america and mike do you know where cranberries are how cranberries are grown they're grown in bogs yes kind of they're actually grown on dry land but they're harvested or turned into bogs to harvest them so that the cranberries float to the top it makes it easier to harvest the cranberries so they're not actually grown in wet conditions they like dry conditions to grow it's just that during harvest they wet them down to pick them i'll be darned i didn't know that yeah learn something new every day well look at that come come to ag news daily and get filled up on cranberry (laughs) facts it's like you're gonna be filled up on cranberry sauce tomorrow exactly well delaney do you have any other facts for us no i'm all out that was it okay well, you know, guys talking about filling up on cranberry sauce. Some folks might not be able to fill up on cranberry sauce because of severe weather. We have two massive winter storms that are moving across the country right now. One went through Denver, uh, I guess, two nights ago, and then through Minneapolis last night and dumped just about 12 inches of snow on Minneapolis. They've canceled a lot of flights out of Minneapolis-St. Paul, and, of course, we're seeing that reverberate on down the chain. So it is definitely trouble for a lot of folks trying to get somewhere this week. Yeah, it is. And it still doesn't seem to be doing a whole lot for our grain market, does it, Mike? No, no, it isn't. Nothing's moving in the grains. They are moving, but they're moving down. It's kind of frustrating. It is very frustrating. Another thing that's frustrating, Mike, is the continued delay we're seeing here on the phase one of the U.S.-China trade agreement. But President Trump and Trump's advisors 
continue to say that we're getting close. According to Kellyanne Conway, which is an advisor to President Trump, she said on Tuesday on Fox and Friends that China did recently ban its uh, drop its ban on U.S. chicken imports, and those and a few other facts make them think that they're that they're very close to a trade deal and continue to have positive sentiment about it. But I personally, for one, don't have any right now. No, I don't either. I think it's going to take some time to really get this thing done. I do, too. But I will tell you that the markets seem to believe it. Mm. And uh, we did see records set today in the Dow Jones Industrial Average on trade deal optimism. So, I mean, the the traders are out there trading this idea that maybe we are going to get uh, a trade deal through, you know, at some point or another. I sure hope so. Yeah, I think a lot of folks do. Um, We also had some strong data come out of the government earlier today. Hold on one second here. We've got a truck driving by. We've got commerce happening here in the Windy City. All right, here we go. So we've got uh, consumer uh, uh, durable goods sales, rather, were up quite a bit. U.S. capital goods sales were up month on month and year on year. And those two things combined with this trade deal optimism is what pushed the Dow to its record high today. And record high since when? R- record high is oh what? Like ever? Uh, it pushed it, yeah, yeah, highest twenty eight thousand one hundred twenty seven, where we traded earlier today. Oh wow! Yeah, well, so definitely seeing some movement there as we look at uh, what's going on on Wall Street. Absolutely. It sounds like that indeed, Mike. Switching tracks a little bit, we've talked just briefly about this, but USDA is improving crop insurance policies specifically for coarse grain producers. They announced today that those changes to crop insurance, which aren't applicable until 2020 and have been put together by USDA's Risk Management Agency, will allow producers to have more flexibility to choose the enterprise units or optional units by following another crop or not following another crop and to or not excuse me not following another crop practice in select grain sorghum and soybean counties so it's okay. supposedly going to allow producers to make better management options and manage the unique risk of each of their practices by having separate FAC and NFAC units. I'm, I'm not okay. super familiar with what those two units are, Mike. Are you? You know, I'm not either, Delaney. I mean, I know the difference between, uh, between enterprise and, and, you know, conventional yep. units, but... No, we might have to get a crop insurance specialist on to help walk us through what some of these changes might mean on the ground for growers. Yes, I think so too. But if you would like to read this for yourself, you can go check it out in the Federal Register at regulations.gov. And they're doing a comment period here for 60 days, although it sounds like it's pretty much set in stone that these changes will be made. So yes, either... I think it'd be great if we get on a crop insurance specialist, but also talk to your crop insurance specialist. Just know, I guess, that there are changes coming for the 2020 growing season that I think make it a little help more helpful for your operation. Absolutely. You know, Delaney, I just have one other piece of news here before we kick it. Oh, well, before I guess you tell whatever news you've got. My last piece of news is good news for a lot of our friends up north in Canada. The rail strike that's been going on with Canadian National uh, Railways has uh, has ended. 
longest strike or longest railroad strike in Canada in more than a decade. The workers and management have reached a tentative agreement and they are headed back to their jobs. This doesn't mean that we're going to see shipments jump up right away. A lot of folks are saying that this backlog created by the, I think it was an eight day strike, um, it's going to take some time to clear up and get everything back online. But, you know, we talked yesterday about nutrients shutting down their, their potash mine. Now it looks like that mine will only be closed for two weeks and they'll be able to reopen it and begin exports of potash once again. All right. Well, I have two other quick pieces of news, Mike. The first one is related to the biofuels industry. Typically we see a final rule for the annual biofuel blending mandates under the renewable fuel standard released the day before or day after Thanksgiving. But the agency said on Tuesday that this year it will not complete this year's final rule until the winter. So we don't have to worry about kind of that news dump, so to speak, happening anytime this week. And then last piece of news is what's going on with the Dean Foods milk processor, which uh, recently filed Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Kind of an update on that. This was sent in to us by Gary Rasmussen, who is a dairy producer up there in Michigan, the Uper area. And also, he works with Dean Foods to supply milk to them as a dairy farmer and sent me this article. Basically, Dean Foods bondholders do not want a merger with the DFA or the Dairy Foods Association. Apparently at the first day bankruptcy hearing, an attorney that represented about a third of the company's bondholders said that while Dean Food is focusing exclusively on a combination with the co-op, that option won't be value maximizing and really expressed their concerns. And it sounds like this deal actually might not even be feasible due to some antitrust concerns because both companies are so big in the dairy industry. The Dairy Foods Associate or Dairy Farmers of America Association provides about 60% of Dean Foods milk and Dean in turn accounts for about 20% of DFA's sales. So it sounds like there might be too much of, I guess, you know, one pool. Um, so it sounds like some antitrust things might be happening there as well. So I'm not sure what that entails then for those folks that do go to Dean Foods, you know, because it was suspected that things are going to be business as usual. You'd still get your paychecks, but if a merger or a buyout doesn't happen quickly, I'm not sure what that means for those dairy producers. Yeah. Things get a lot cloudier pretty quickly. Yeah. uh, They can't find somebody to, uh, to jump in there and and kind of rescue Dean Food. Exactly. Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I am Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter podcast found on the Global Ag Network. If a fluid is considered incompressible, how does any hydraulic system create pressure? An engine's oiling system bows to the same laws of hydraulics. Pressure is created by limiting or restricting flow. A garden hose with no nozzle has a high rate of flow but little to no pressure. With the nozzle, discharge pressure increases but flow drops. 
a restriction is required to increase pressure. Pressure pushes the oil through the intricate engine passages and creates an oil wedge between the crankshaft journal and the bearing. The oil wedge differs from the main and rod bearing clearance. It is much thinner. Oil system pressure is the cumulative effect of the bearing clearance, both rod and main, the viscosity of the oil, and the length, diameter, and surface finish of the oil passages along with the output of the pump. Most engines employ one of two oil pump designs, a gear type or a rotor type. A minimum industry standard for oil pressure is 10 pounds per square inch for every 1,000 RPM. An engine that idles at 700 RPM needs a minimum pressure of 7 pounds per square inch and should increase as engine speed goes higher. At 3,000 RPM, the engine requires a minimum oil pressure of 30 PSI. Oil is also used as a coolant. The greater the volume, the more heat that is removed from critical engine parts. If the bearings are worn, the engine will require a higher pump output to maintain a nominal oil pressure. All right, well, that does it for the news. Delaney, what do you say? Should we kick it off and check out the market? Let's do it, Mike. All right, folks, our markets today were down pretty well across the board. Starting with the grain market, in corn, the December contract was off a nickel at 362.5. March also down five cents to close at 373 and a quarter. In soybeans, the January contract dropped two and a quarter pennies to finish at 882 even. The March also down two and a quarter, closed the day at 896 and a half. In Chicago wheat, the December contract was down four cents today to finish at, excuse me, 526 and a quarter. The March was down four and a half to finish the day at 526 and a half. Jumping over to take a look at the world of livestock, we've got green in the cattle complex today. December live cattle were up a dollar oh two fifty at one twenty one forty two half. The February also up a dollar oh two fifty. Finished today at one twenty six seventy. And big moves in feeder cattle as well. The January contract up a dollar seventy to finish at one forty three thirty two and a half. The March up a dollar seventy. Finished at one forty three ninety two and a half. And slight weakness in the lean hog complex today. December lean hogs down fifteen cents at sixty sixty seven fifty. The February down sixty seven and a half to finish the day at sixty seven fifteen. Well, we're talking about Dean Foods. Of course, we've got to discuss the dairy markets. Class three milk November contract was down a penny at twenty thirty six. The December up strikingly twenty cents higher on the day to finish at nineteen twenty seven. Delaney, why don't you tell us who we're talking to in today's interview segment? Well, I think we need to keep things lighthearted and fun heading into Thanksgiving. So we're going to turn it over to Jenna Hoffman, who got an interesting update from the National Bison Association. This is Jenna Hoffman reporting on behalf of the Ag News Daily. I'm here today with Dave Carter from the National Bison Association. Thank you, Dave, for joining us. You bet. Glad to be with you. All right. Let's talk bison. Let's hear some facts to start off with so our listeners can get a little bit of a feel out for bison. Well, let's see. You can uh, talk about the basic facts of the animal. They can run 35 miles an hour, jump six feet. They love this good cold weather when it's uh, zero degrees out. Uh, when our good neighbors are worried about getting feed out to the pasture, we're worried about whether we got French roast or regular grind coffee to percolate up because we're going to sit inside and have a cup of coffee in the morning. The bison business is growing. Um, you know, uh, by about 1885, there were only about 700 bison left alive in the world. We're up to about 400,000 now. And it's grown, we call it the greatest story of species of market-based species restoration in the world because as people have embraced the great taste and the nutritional attributes of bison 
that is the incentive for us to bring more of these animals back and, and bring more people back into agriculture via getting into bison production. All right, Dave, where are most of these bison concentrated at? Well, we have South Dakota is the largest state for, for bison. Colorado is the largest state for processing bison. <clears throat> but there are bison producers all over the country. There are two bison herds on the islands of Hawaii and one on Long Island in New York and every place in between. Wow. So where are... Um, where can people that are looking to try some bison, and should they get them directly from the producer or their local stores that are selling it as well? Well, we're really pleased. Our market has grown. I mean, Whole Foods and the natural food stores that carried bison for many years. Kroger, Safeway, a lot of the chains, Hy-Vee have got bison. But we just launched, via some assistance with USDA's Farmer's Market Promotion Program, we created a new app. It's called Bison Bison. B-U-Y-S-O-M-E-B-I-S-O-N. You can download it and go on there. No matter where you're at, you can find a local bison producer. that They may sell directly off the ranch. They may sell at a farmer's market or supply a local restaurant. It'll have all the information on how you can get some delicious bison from them. All right. Bison, bison, again, is that application. I'll definitely have to try some of that out myself. What will I be looking for in the flavor differences between bison and maybe um, other meats? Well, we always say bison is very similar to beef, just a little bit sweeter. So the main difference is in the nutritional profile. It's lower in fat, it's higher in protein, higher in iron. It's been one of the foods uh, recommended for women to eat. So, it, you know, we feel that it's got all of the great flavor, but it's got some nutritional uh, attributes, and it's got an incredible story behind it. You know, to tell the story, this is, in fact, we call it nature's original plant-based protein. Because this is the animal that evolved with thousands and thousands of years of the development of the grassland ecosystem. And having the bison out there are very important to maintaining that ecosystem. Dave, what is the price differences that our listeners can be looking out for? Maybe there's a little bit of a difference that might be more appealing? Well, there is. Uh, you know, in the retail, the, the price difference is, uh, is higher for bison because these are slower-growing animals. We don't use growth hormones. It's, in fact, it's illegal to use growth hormones in bison. We haven't bred them to be meat wagons, so they do grow a little bit slower. For the producer, the advantage is we're actually in a bit of a slump right now, but yet our carcass price... Uh, for a two-year-old bull going in, which is kind of our benchmark, is four thirty-two uh, a pound. And uh, I know the last time I looked at the beef price, it was about a dollar eighty a pound. So you know, it's a significant advantage there. We will never be a threat to beef. We never see ourselves being another beef. Beef does the best job in the world to be in beef. So why would we want to be another version? We are always going to be a very small niche. That is builds our market based upon connecting with customers that are willing to pay a premium price because of the attributes of the meat. Wow, that is amazing to hear that story of the bison. Um, so the feed uh, nutrition that you give to the bison, I see over here we have a sign that says nature's original plant-based protein. Can yes. you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Well, first of all, these animals evolved. Uh, they helped shape the grassland ecosystem. And so when you think about bison, what it contains is the plants that, that are out there. Now, some people do some grain finishing. Some people do a pure grass-fed uh, finishing and everything in between. But, you know, it is. It's set. We found that with this animal, the less that we interfere with it, the more we let nature take its course, the better off we are.
Are most of these producers, Dave, going to be um, large operations or hobby farmers or things like that? It, you know, a few years back I was given my report at our conference and I looked out and there was Ted Turner that has 15 ranches and 50,000 head of bison and a chain of restaurants. And literally sitting next, right next to him visiting with him was this young couple that have maybe 30 uh, head and sell buffalo burgers out of a food truck. And those are the bookends of our business and it's everybody in between. Yeah. Do you see the hobby farmers maybe growing more into the bison industry rather than the cattle, or they're just synonymous to one another? It's not well, really matter. We, we think that there are advantages uh, with, uh, with bison. I mean, if you're a hobby farmer and you've got an off-farm job, you've got to have an enterprise that's not going to take a lot of your time. Well, you know, if a blizzard runs through, you don't have to worry about running out with feed. During calving season, you don't have to be out there day and night. You don't have to be out there castrating them or dehorning them or anything. So, yeah, bison are a little bit harder to handle, but they're a whole lot easier to raise, and we think that's a real advantage. Right. So this practice seems to be a little bit more um, just kind of free reign for yep. bison. I mean, that's a really good term to use, I suppose. Is there any, um, with cattle, you know, we have the embryo transfer and uh, artificial insemination like that. Is there anything with the bison at all? No, we don't. We don't use any artificial insemination. We let romance happen in the pasture. Again, that's the way Mother Nature designed them, so let's not, let's not mess with it. Okay. You think there's a future for that at all, or you're going to stick to the guns on uh, keeping it the way it always has been? You know, we love keeping it the way it always has been. And, you know, when you think about it, I mean, we came from 700 bison being alive in, in 1885. You would think about the genetics, you know, that we would have. But yet, when you compare us with the dairy industry... I just saw something a while back that 90% of the Holstein uh, animals out there come from one of two Y chromosomes, and we just don't want to have that kind of genetic uh, compaction in our business. Are there... um are there genetic testing that has been done well, for various do. across the nation? Yeah, we do some genetic testing because, you know, when they saved the, the herds 100 years ago, they did some, they tried to create cattle at the time by crossing bison, and they found out it didn't work. But there's a lot of bison out there that have some small percentage of cattle genetics in them, and more and more of our people are actually testing the genetically to kind of weed that out. Right. I wonder what the taste difference would be like if it had a little bit of that cattle mix in there. It doesn't taste a, a lot different. No. 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 And, and we always think, I know there's beefalo out there and they have their own association and, you know, it is what it is, but we think that our advantage is bison. Beefalo. I have just learned something today that's an awesome term. I have yeah. not heard that yet. Yeah. Wow. Has that been around for a while? Yes, that's been around for about 30 years. So. I guess I'm behind the curve here. I guess. <laughs> new girl, new girl. Jeez. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Dave. Thank you for stopping by. Well, again, a big thank you there to Jenna for putting that report together for us. Mike, I don't know if you've ever ate bison meat, but I actually am a big fan of like bison burgers. Yeah, you know, I, I've i eaten it several times. I certainly don't dislike it. Um, my my only complaint with bison is that it tends to be a little too lean for my liking. I mean, oh, I can see okay. how in a burger it would be delicious, mm-hmm. but the, uh, the muscle cuts, uh, for my taste buds, they're just a little too lean. Oh, well, that's understandable. So that, that's my thought there. You won't be having bison for Thanksgiving. Uh, no, no, I won't be. But I wouldn't <laughs> uh, wouldn't turn my nose up at it if somebody offered it. Exactly, exactly. Well, folks, we want to wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving. And a reminder, we will not be doing a podcast on Thanksgiving or on Friday this week. So it'll be Monday before you hear our voices again. 
But if you want to catch up on any past episodes and hear Mike and I's soothing voices this weekend, maybe while you're working out in the fields, you can find all of our past episodes at agnewsdaily.com. Or you can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Agnews Daily. Mike, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.